Hello there. Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another week. My name is Aaron Osborne, your host, as always. I don't know why I said that, and you know who this is. You know who this is. <laughs> anyway, uh, this week my guest is Meg Gallagher. Um, I've known Meg for a while now through friends and through the Melbourne hardcore scene uh, and thought she'd be a good person to get on the podcast to talk about her experiences sort of in and around music in Victoria. Um, Meg is an accomplished MMA fighter. She's a hardcore fan. She's a really awesome person and this chat was great. It was really cool to talk to her about sort of the life she has led thus far and how music has interacted with that. Um, a couple of years ago, Meg was diagnosed with breast cancer and that was a obviously a huge part of her life for a while and I thought it would be interesting to talk to her about her experiences with that and in no way, you know, am I trying to trivialize that at all or trying to make that sound lighthearted in this intro, but, you know, I thought it was something that a lot of people would like to hear about and uh, I certainly did and I was certainly really, you know, engrossed in the conversation we had. And I was really engrossed in the conversation we had about MMA as well, as it's something that I don't know too much about, that I see from a distance. And Meg had some really cool things to say about both things and important opinions to share. So I'm glad I got to record this conversation we had with one another. Um, So yeah, she has great stories. You're about to hear them. I'm about to listen to them again for the second time. Um, So yeah, here it is. Episode number 12 with Meg Gallagher. Thanks for listening. Um, Just quickly before I go into it, for anyone who's keen, this weekend I exist to playing some shows with Frenzel Rom and Sumeru, and that's going to be awesome. On Thursday the 4th of June, we're playing, well it's today actually when this thing goes up. Today, we're playing in Canberra with Frenzel at the basement. Go to it. Then tomorrow, Friday the 5th of June, we're playing at Sweaty Betty's in Miranda. I don't know, it's near Sydney. With Sumeru, Deadly Visions, and Homesick. On Saturday, we're playing at the Entrance Leagues Club on the Central Coast with Frenzel Rom. And then on Sunday, we're playing at the Newtown Social Club with Frenzel. Those will be fucking sick. I think K9 are playing some of them. And Hostile Objects are playing some of them too, so that'll be awesome. Both cool bands. But yeah, that's I Exist. Some shows that we got going on. Come to them if you'd like. Don't if you don't want to. Anyway, enough of my dumb shit. Here's a fucking awesome conversation with Meg Gallagher. She was a legend. This is great. Enjoy it as much as I did. Brutal. Well, thank you for doing my podcast. My pleasure. Um, first thing I've been asking everyone is how, as a, you know, as a kid or when you were young, what was like the first thing that drew you to music? Like how would, how did you first like find interest in listening to music? Uh, my parents were both really into music when Mm -hmm. I was a kid. So my dad, um, back in the day, he used to sing in a band and all that sort of stuff. So there were always records playing in the house and all that sort of stuff. So um, neither of my parents really played any instruments or anything like that, but there was always music in the house. We had a piano in the house and stuff as well. And 
Um, my eldest sister, she's um, about 13 years older than me. Okay. She wow. played piano. Yeah. And, um, and a few other instruments as well, like cello and yeah. she's a singer. So Go through those musical. motions when you're a kid. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I did as well. I think um, by the time I got to high school, I went to a high school that was really, um, had strong music yeah. all the way through it um, and sport as well. But uh, so I played, it was compulsory yeah. in year seven to play an instrument and yeah. do band and all that. And what so did you do? I played clarinet. Perfect. I played clarinet <laughs> oh, too. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was pretty good at clarinet, actually. I played first mm-hmm. in the band and they wanted me to try out for the orchestra and all that sort of stuff. That's but cool. Yeah. So, I mean, I used to be able to sight read music and all that sort of stuff, but yeah. not anymore. Yeah. It's um, a skill you need to practice. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but I just got... I kind of got over it, I guess, and I had other priorities, but, um, I've got some really, it's funny how you don't really notice that you have memories when you're a really small child, but I was talking to somebody about, um, that Paula Abdul song, Opposites Attract, you know, with the cat in the video. video, (laughs) Um, somebody, we were arguing about when that was released Uh and, my friend was saying, no, no, it was, it's got to be 89. It came out in 89, surely. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, no, cause I was only two years old then. And yeah. I remember like dancing in the lounge room as a kid to that song on video hits. Yeah. And turns out it was 89. So you were remembering it I from that. I remember being young. two years old. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Um, and then things like, I remember headbanging with my brothers <laughs> to, um, smells like teen spirit on Perfect. video hits as well and stuff like that. So yeah. I don't know. I've just, I've always loved music yeah um i always listen to it like i listen to it when i go to sleep when i'm on the train when i'm in the car so yeah that's funny because it's like i think a lot of people take for granted the influence that their family like might have on them mm. because like i have a similar thing wherein like my dad just loved like cold chisel and stuff yeah. and like now that's like i don't know that's like a thing that every australian person of our sort of age bracket probably has but like when I think about it like I spent so much time in the car listening to my dad like sing cold chisel really badly (laughs) that influenced me in terms of like like, I love that band but I would say that I probably would like them a lot less had I not had all that stuff um all right so when did like a turn happen for you I suppose towards like alternative music uh well, I guess I remember well, smells being like teen quite there, young, yeah. yeah, listening to Nirvana. Um, I think that's probably my, because my two, I've got two older sisters and then mm-hmm. two brothers who are around my age, but there's a yeah. big gap between my sisters and the other three of us. Sure. Um, so when I was quite young, like probably five or six, they would have been you know, teenagers. And I remember my eldest sister was big into like Rage Against the Machine and Mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff. And I remember mum banned her from listening to (laughs) Killing in the Name because she hated the swearing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but we used to sit, her bedroom was the bungalow at the back of the house. And Mm -hmm. we used to sit on the step of her bungalow, my brothers and I, and listen to her music that she was listening to through the door. (laughs) So I think I was pretty heavily influenced by that. Um, Yeah, and I mean, she was mostly listening to fairly mainstream alternative sort of stuff. Um, Things that were getting played on the radio a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then I probably, 
I started listening to punk. I don't know. I was made some friends in high school that played guitar and things like that, and I started kind of getting interested. I, I'm terrible at playing guitar, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I picked it up and started listening to some stuff that they were listening to, and started getting into the Misfits and stuff like that, and yeah. Dead Kennedys, and um, I don't know. It just kind of progressed naturally yeah. from, there. from there. Yeah. So was there like a big? Um... Uh, like community of that in the school that you went to? No, no. <laughs> not at all. Yeah. No one listened to hardcore at my school, yeah. like no one. Um, and there were a few people that listened to a bit of punk, but like that old, um, like late seventies, Yeah, right. you know, um, lots of like the Ramones and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, pretty standard really, I guess when you hit about 15 or whatever. Yeah. You need something to rebel with. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I remember being the only the only person in my school that ever wore Chuck Taylors uh-huh. or that had badges or patches on my bag. Um, and then, I don't know, it kind of just started getting a bit more accepted, I suppose. But even in, like, 2004, I guess, when, um, like, Prom Queen and all that sort of stuff was getting, you know, a bit of hype. Yeah. Um, there was kind of a small group that were... I guess into all of that, you know, going to Parkway Drive shows and blah, blah, sure. blah. But um, the wider community of my school was, yeah, was <laughs> like, thought it was the weirdest thing. Like people, I had a guy, I went to a 21st, so it was a few years out of school yeah. and I hadn't seen, I've probably got three people that I'm still friends with from school yeah. and I hadn't seen any of these people and I got there and a guy told me that he was really intimidated by me and that was why he never talked to me at school. It wasn't because he didn't like me, he was scared of me. I was like, right. what are you, why? Like, I'm really not a very intimidating no. person. But he said it's because I listened to heavy music and yeah. did kickboxing and all that sort yeah. of stuff. So I When know. I, I remember well, when I sort of first started playing in um, hardcore bands in Canberra, people... Like I, I got that, not, not that exactly, but I did get some people saying to me like, oh yeah, I just thought you were like a, like pissed off metal dude. Cause I had like really long hair and I just yeah. wore death metal shirts all the time. That's funny how people see something like that and yeah. just assume Yeah, everyone that just assumes that you're really angry. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, when did you start like going to shows and stuff? When did that start happening for you? Was it in uh, school or? Yeah. So I think I would have been in year nine, I would yeah. say. It was probably about 2002, I think. Yeah. Um, I was going to just local shows at like the coffee house and sure. stuff like that. Um, just like local punk and ska bands. Yeah, I, I listened to it through a little ska phase. Yeah. Um, Your connection to the big band was still yeah, running yeah, through. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do actually have a huge soft spot for anything that has brass in it. Yeah. If I hear a song on the radio, it could be the worst song <laughs> in the world with terrible lyrics and just poorly written. But if it has a catchy brass hook, You're I'm in. all about it. I mean, I'm done. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's just going to local, like really little shows. Mm-hmm. And then um, some friends that I made through that, um, who were in a couple of bands, yeah. um, kind of started giving me mixed CDs and saying, I think you'll really like this. Sure. And yeah. And so then I went to my first, I guess, hardcore show and I would have been probably 15, I think. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, just three friends. Yeah. And was there like, was hardcore and stuff like that big down where you lived or did that not happen for a while? 
I, I don't really know, funnily yeah. enough. I wasn't really... Because I, I moved to Mornington when I was in year eight mm-hmm. um, from Oakley. And I went okay. to school in McKinnon. Yeah. Um, and I stayed at that school and I just took the train oh, and wow. the bus to and from every day. So yeah. when we moved to Mornington, I didn't really make any friends down there. Like okay. I made friends with a couple of guys at the skate park. Yeah. Um, but that was about it. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't make any friends like obviously at school and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Not until I started working a few years later. <laughs> um, so I think there's that whole peninsula hardcore i think it has a bit of a stigma attached to it but i didn't know any of those people really so um no i just most of my friends lived up near the city so i was on the train every weekend i would just get on the train and must be so much effort for you getting to and from shows do you know what this the shows at stonecutters were the biggest pain because it was my house was a half hour walk from the bus stop and then it was half an hour on the bus and then an hour to Richmond and then change trains to go out. <laughs> but I don't know. I, when you, yeah. But when you don't have the luxury of driving, yeah, you, you don't know. You don't know. So, yeah. and I always had a, you know, I would meet up with friends, you know, yeah. they would get on the train halfway. And sure. So, I mean, it was just kind of fun. Yeah. So, and I loved it. Like I would go, I would do that for two shows in a weekend. Yeah. You know, and then get home late on a Sunday and go to school Monday morning. So that's cool. Yeah, no, it was like when um when when I was a kid, because obviously I'm from Canberra, there was like, when I first started going to shows and stuff, it was like this weird time where they were, where like shows were sort of getting like drip fed into Canberra, like mm. death metal shows that I was going to and other metal shows and things. And then when I was in like high school, like the later years of high school, we'd end up just going to Sydney all the time. And it was a similar thing where like, in hindsight now, it's, like, insane to think that I spent so much money, like, catching buses to Sydney to go yeah. to shows, and, like, but it was something that I needed to do, I yeah. guess. And, and like, it's your life. Like, that's yeah. experiences. And, like, and... now, like, driving to Sydney is, like, nothing, but then when I, I think I could, I would rather die now than catch a bus to Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, yeah. Um, so, when did you get into doing kickboxing and stuff? When did that start for you? So, I started kickboxing when I was 16 mm-hmm. um when I was little I think from about seven I really got into boxing okay um through what avenue just my family's big on sport and yeah my right. dad knows a lot about you know boxing history and all that sort of stuff he's my dad's one of those encyclopedia types yeah <laughs> and um yeah so I remember when I was a kid, I loved Oscar De La Hoya and Shane Mosley. Mm-hmm. And um, I always wanted to do boxing, but my mum always used to say, I like your teeth where they are. <laughs> so I wasn't allowed to do it. Um, I played other sports, but uh, so I was always really active. Yeah. But um, I got to, yeah, I was about 16 and mum knew this guy through work who was a two-time world champion kickboxer and wow. like a Muay Thai champion and all that sort of stuff. And he was coaching classes. Mm-hmm. So she just came home one day and said, um, are you still interested in doing that? Yeah. You know, cause she trusted this guy and she knew he was a good guy and he would never put me, you know, in harm's way or anything yeah, like right. that. So I went and I was so shy. Like when I was a teenager, I just never, like when I started going to shows, it took me so long to make friends because I just was so shy. I never spoke to anybody. Yeah. And, um, so I rocked up to this class and he was really lovely, 
and I just sat and I watched mm-hmm. and um, he came up to me at the end and he goes, oh, do you, do you think this is something you want to do? Yeah. I said, yep. I showed up the next day and I couldn't walk the day after. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I literally couldn't walk. I had to take the day off school because I couldn't oh, really? walk. That was how hard it was. Jeez. And, um, so how old were you at this point? 16. Okay. And I remember I texted the coach and I said, um, I'm not going to be there tonight, but it's not because I didn't like it. Yeah. You know, I just I can't, I can't walk, walk, so I'll see you in a couple of days. Yeah. And um, I went straight into training five days a week. Um, oh, wow. And then not long after that, I was training six days a week, and I started sparring and all that sort of stuff. And then I think I had my first fight when I was 18 or 19. It was 2008. Yeah. Yes, I was 18 or 19. And, um, yeah, I had a few kickboxing fights, and then... Some things happened and I ended up changing gyms and I started MMA in 2010. Yeah, right. And so what was the, what was the like catalyst other than some things happening? What was the catalyst (laughs) to move to that sort of, uh, from kickboxing to MMA? I just wanted to learn more. Okay. Um, even when you're just striking, obviously you can always improve and learn and grow. Um, but uh, you know, the UFC started getting pretty big. Sure. Not so much in Australia. I think it's still yeah, it's still building in the baby bit. stages. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> a lot of people still don't understand it. So yeah. But um, yeah, I just I liked watching fights, and I was watching whatever I could, and that meant watching UFC as well as the boxing and stuff, the pay per views that were on. Sure. Um, and initially, I kind of thought it was a little boring when you had the fights where there was a lot of groundwork and a lot of wrestling okay. because I didn't really know what I was looking at. All right. And I worked with a guy who, um, he was a security guard mm-hmm. by night. He had a day job as well, but he is probably the biggest MMA name in Victoria. Yeah. Um, if like he's one of the biggest in Australia, but, sure. um, yeah, we were friends through work and he always used to make fun of me because I was tiny. I was like 51 <laughs> kilos oh, and, um, he used to send me, you don't look like a fighter. You don't look like a fighter. Yeah. And he always bugged me to come and do MMA, come to Kimika and do MMA. And I was just kind of like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. And then, yeah, I guess the catalyst was I had a bit of a falling out with my trainer. He kind of, he just snapped one day and treated me really badly. Sure. Um, I think he had something going on in his life that was stressing him out and he took Boiled it out on me. over him to work. Yeah. And I mean, we were really close. We were friends. Like he knew had known me from when I was, you know, 15 or 16 until, you know, so, um, yeah. And then one day Nick just called me out of the blue to see how I was. And I said, Oh, funny. You should call me because I'm looking for a new gym. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. So he got me straight down. Um, he bugged me to come to their fight team training. Yeah. Um, which I said no to because I didn't know the coach or any of the guys. And he said, just come, just come, just come. So I rocked up and he wasn't there yet. He's always late. <laughs> he wasn't there yet. And they introduced me to the coach and yep. kind of, because you have to get approval before you rock up to fight team training because it's all sparring and wrestling and all that sort sure. of stuff. Yep. Um, and if they don't know you and your skills, you know, it's a bit hard. So the girl at the desk just kind of looked at me. She goes, oh no, you'll have to talk to Ed first. Mm. And I was like, yeah, no worries. That's fine. So he comes out and he's this guy, he's from Boston yeah. and he's got this really gruff accent and he's quite intimidating sure. when you first meet him. Yeah. And, um, he just grilled me 
Um, <laughs> and at one point he's like, I don't train kickboxers. I train MMA fighters and yep. all this sort of stuff. And then he told me that he didn't train women. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, Oh, all right. And he said, you know, there's a lot of testosterone out there. You're oh, going to have God. to get used to that. Yeah. And I mean, looking back, it didn't take me long to realize he was just testing me sure. at the time. Um, but I was like, oh, geez. All right. Why are you yelling at me? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I said, oh, well, look, you know, if you're training fighters, I don't want to be in the way. You know, I can just wait and do a class another time. And yeah. he's like, well, you're here now. You might as well train. Yeah. So it was two hours straight of sparring mm-hmm. and he didn't speak a single word to me. And then at the end of it, my friend came over to me and he mm-hmm. said, Ed said that if you want to fight MMA, we'll get you to America. I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> the guy that yelled at me? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, that's where it started. And, yeah, I've been with those guys ever since. And they're amazing. Like, they're so supportive and caring. And yeah, that's awesome. Everybody works really hard, so it's good. That's sick. So, what what did your... Like, what was the requirement or, like, the involvement from you then from that point for people like myself who know, like, fuck all about <laughs> this sort of stuff? Yeah. Like, how did it go from being all right, now you're in to then, like, where did it go from there? Like, what, um, what was, like, the, the requirements of you and what sort of did you have to put into that? As in to become, like, yeah, a pro? Yeah, um, Well, to I had good. already... <laughs> well, you get good by working hard. Yes. That's, that's really sure. all you can do. You've got to show up and do the work and listen and learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and for every, even then, for everybody, it's different. You yeah. know, some people have natural ability mm-hmm. but are lazy and they might take a long time to progress. Some people work really hard, you know. Yeah. But... Um, I had already had five, five, four, how many fights have I had? <laughs> I think I, I had had five amateur fights or okay. stand-up um, before I got to Kimakai. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I basically just started working really hard. I mean, I was doing classes and yep. then sparring. Um, and I guess, I don't know, I showed some kind of potential. or something. I guess Ed saw something in me that yep. he liked. So... Yeah, um, I became the first women, woman, I'm only one person, <laughs> I became the first woman on yes. their fight team. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, I when I'm healthy, obviously I'm doing rehabbing my knee mm-hmm. at the moment, but ordinarily I would train six days a week, Yeah. Um, eat really well, try to get a lot of sleep, Yeah. work my butt off, That's crazy. lots of sparring, lots of wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I had... I had my first professional kickboxing fight with Kimakai. Mm-hmm. I had a. I remember my first fight with them was a modified Thai fight, which is basically Muay Thai but no elbows. Okay. Um, which was really frustrating for me because I wanted to make a good impression, like with this new coach yeah, and everything. Sure. And uh, I ended up losing that fight, but I had tuned the girl up like, <laughs> one of the so guys left <laughs> oh yeah one of the guys walked past her apparently after the fight and he came up to me and he said Meg she's got about four ice packs on her leg <laughs> I, you know I'm pretty sure in everybody's eyes you won that fight but um you know sometimes judges have opinions before a fight starts like sure. I was I was wearing MMA shorts when I got in the ring and okay. I didn't do a Y crew and the other girl did and it was a Muay Thai show. So, so um, yeah. and the other girls clinch something that, you know, yeah. they I had think there was a bit of prejudice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
But, um, yeah, I mean, the other girl's clinch was a lot better than mine was. Mm. But, um, yeah, I definitely, like, I came out of that fight with not a single mark on me. <laughs> and uh, she was a bit beaten up. So, so physically, yeah. you, felt, you felt you took that one. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, I remember being just completely shattered. I felt like I'd let everybody down. Yeah. And Ed just looked at me and he, he tapped his chest and he goes, there's nothing wrong here. Yeah. And he's like, don't you worry about that result. So, you know, I think... I think my work ethic impressed him in that fight. And sure. from there, he really started to invest in me a lot. Okay. So, which I feel very grateful and very lucky yeah. for that. So, yeah. And then I had um, my first pre-kickboxing fight and then two MMA fights. Yeah, crazy. And was that, was that like a hard thing for you to change then from a long time before of just doing kickboxing? No. Um, it's funny. A lot of people ask that when... Say if we're sparring or if some of the guys might have a boxing fight Mm -hmm. here and there. Um, It's like you have a switch in your brain and you just know what you're supposed to be doing, what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do. Right. So, yeah, no, it wasn't difficult. I mean, I had a lot to learn because wrestling's really hard. Yeah. Like really hard (laughs) and it's really technical and jujitsu is the same. There's so much to learn. And I felt like even though I was... I think 21, yeah, 21 or 22 when I started MMA, I felt like I started really late. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just a lot of hard work and there's a lot to take in. But when, you know, when we're doing sparring and things like that, we never do full MMA, Mm -hmm. um, in the gym. So you'll do kickboxing rounds and then you do your wrestling and okay. you do like your grappling rounds. Sure. Um, so and you then, have focus points to sort of develop them better. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's a different, it's almost like it's a different type of cardio mm-hmm. wrestling. You know, you could be super fit for, you know, 10 kickboxing rounds, but then really gas out when you wrestle someone. Sure. Okay. Um, but getting closer to a fight, we'll mix it up a little bit. So we do like what's called shoot boxing, which mm-hmm. is wrestling with striking as okay. well, but you don't really do submissions or anything because you got boxing gloves on. Okay. So we mix it up in that way. But so in the gym, you're always, okay, this is what I'm doing today. Like, you know, right now I'm kickboxing or, you know, you might be boxing yeah. or now I'm just wrestling. So you used That's, to, yeah, it seems like, it seems like so much <laughs> like, uh, for an outsider, it seems like so much thought process that you have to use um, <laughs> to make sure you didn't do the wrong thing or it is. I mean, it, I think there's a bit of a misconception. It's not really that wide, I don't think, but there are a lot of people who think that professional fighters are just thugs. And yeah. I remember when I first started coaching, um, if I ever was having a conversation with somebody and I mentioned uni, mm-hmm. they were always so surprised. I go, did you go to university? <laughs> like, I'm here because I love this, not yeah. because I can't do anything else. Yeah. You know? Um, so I think people, yeah, a lot of people, not everyone, but there are a lot of people who seem to think that fighters are just brutes. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd say that, that stigma probably comes like, I mean, and I guess it, the same thing goes for the sort of music that we listen to. A lot of that stigma comes from what people see as opposed yeah. to, what they actually understand. Like a lot of people would see someone covered in tattoos and assume they're like an asshole or, yeah, you know, or a criminal or a criminal. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so likewise, if they see some big dude hmm. who loves MMA, their first assumption is going to be like, 
you know. This is a problem in Australia at the moment, and I think it's a problem that, you know, uh, like Canada was dealing with a few years ago and Mm -hmm. things like that. And that's, I mean, the, I'm not sure if you know about the ban on the, the fence. Yep. being overturned okay. by the Labor government. That was one of their election promises. That right. f- because MMA originally was not... The fence was not sanctioned, or the cage, yeah, yeah. Um, was not sanctioned in Victoria. Okay. You could only do MMA in a boxing ring. Right. Which, is, which can be quite dangerous. Um, well, it's like, not d- designed exactly, to do that. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So... Um, you know, I actually witnessed guys falling out of the ring and there was one occasion where a guy went through the ropes and hit his head on the table ringside so hard that he got knocked out and had to go to the hospital. That's, and like, that seems ridiculous. Like, I mean, I'm sure their reasoning, I mean, their reasoning was the image yeah, and that they actually said that, um, the image and street violence. Mm. Which is completely unfounded. Yeah. Um, there have actually... How often are you just... People just fighting in cages on yeah, the streets? Right? Well, they're <laughs> saying that it, it glamorizes, you know, brutality and okay. violence and all that sort of stuff. Which, you know, if if you know fighters... Yeah. That's absolutely not what it's about. Well, I can't um, say that I've ever met anyone who... Like yourself and the other people that I've met who you know, do MMA or boxing or whatever. I don't think I've met any of them that have been like, just fucking want to go all the time. <laughs> like that. I don't yeah. think that's yeah. like the people who do it, take it as a sport or, you know, as a, you know, something that they do for exercise or yeah. something that they're doing to aspire towards as like a career. People forget it's martial arts. Yeah. Like it's people kind of see MMA and they think about the UFC and, guys just beating the hell out of each other in a cage. But when you break it down and you actually look at what it is, it's Brazilian jiu-jitsu, wrestling, which is one of the oldest sports in the history of mankind. Sure. Um, Boxing, you know, wrestling and boxing, both Olympic sports, judo and Olympic sport. Yeah. I mean, and and Muay Thai, which is just, I mean, if I don't know if you know very many Thai people, but they're so beautiful and it's such a huge part of their culture as well over there. Um, But... I mean, with the whole street violence thing, there were studies done overseas. They kind of did like a survey um, of street violence leading up to a UFC event the week of and then the week after. Street violence decreased. Decreased. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, but yeah, it it was frustrating. But at the end of the day, whether we're doing it in a ring or in a cage... It is what it is. I mean, um, I had, I've only had two MMA fights so far before I got injured and then Uh all that other stuff. But, um, the one I had the first women's MMA fight in Victoria, which was in a ring. Yeah. You don't even notice, like you're not thinking about the ropes. Sure. It's the referee's job to make sure you stay safe. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, you don't think about it. So, I mean, it doesn't really. Well, yeah, you're focusing what you're doing. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, you know, then I fought in. Darwin, then I had the first women's MMA fight in the Northern Territory. Yeah. And that was in a cage. Uh And it was so strange, the difference, walking into the cage, it just felt comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, it was very odd. It was really calming being in a cage. I don't know. And you can use it for your wrestling and all that sort of stuff anyway. So, 
It does work out better for the sport because that's what it's designed for. Yeah. So can they do that here now? Because that, mm-hmm. that's been passed now. Yeah. Okay, so there so... have been two events now with cages. Okay. And so does your training then have to modify for that? Like no, beforehand, no. you weren't doing anything differently? It was no. just... Okay. No, that's it's cool. all the same. And we have fences in the gym yeah. anyway. So in like padded walls. Yeah. So no, everything's exactly the same. Yeah, right. Crazy. So how so how long was that were you doing that professionally for then? Um, I only just started before I did my knee the first time. Yeah. So I had two fights pretty much back to back. I um I fought in Victoria and then I flew to Perth the next weekend to visit my brother and go to the weekend I was fighting was when Sick of it all and Agnostic Front were mm-hmm. here. Yep. And I was, so I missed the Melbourne, I couldn't go to the Melbourne show. Sure. So I flew to Perth to hang out with my brother and go to the shows there. Yeah. And then the weekend after that, I fought in Darwin. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I only had those two. And then I did my knee, I think I had a title fight scheduled, like a kickboxing title fight yep. that was meant to be about four weeks after that. And I did my knee sparring. And lead up to that, and then got three months into a ten-month rehab regime. I got three months in and got diagnosed with breast cancer. So yeah, right. That took a backseat. Big chunk out, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, well, like, what what was the what was the process for you then? You know, going from okay, I'm out for this amount of time Mm. because of my knee, and then you know what what happened with. You know, with finding out that you had breast cancer, how did that come up for you? <laughs> it come up. Yeah. Um, well, when I did my knee, I was pretty devastated. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't really hurt when yeah. I did it, but I was, yeah, I knew that I had done some damage and yeah. I was, yeah, devastated. And Well, getting told you can't do anything for 10 months is like... Well, initially we thought I had just dislocated it right. and um, I was told to stay off it for two weeks Yeah. and then I would, could go back to training. Uh-huh. <clears throat> So that the fight was meant to be in two weeks. So, I mean, I couldn't do the fight, but you know, then I could get back into training and I had, it was frustrating because I had promoters contacting me from kind of all over Australia Mm -hmm. wanting to put me on their shows. And, um, so I had kind of, you know, wheels were in motion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's a girl who I got offered a fight with who is now fighting in the UFC. Oh, wow. So, um, it was hard for me initially to not get really frustrated yeah, yeah. by that. Um, but you know, these things happen. And then, yeah, I had, um, I had worked really hard on my rehab and everything was going well. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> I was with my boyfriend at the time. Yeah. Um, we're no longer together, but, um, and it, <laughs> he grabbed my boob and was like, <laughs> what is that? Yeah. And I kind of went, well, what are you talking about? Thinking I had something on my skin or something. Right. I don't know. And he said, no, no, no. What is that? And I felt it and freaked out. Yeah. Jesus. Um, but it was interesting because I went and saw, I went to my GP first and then uh-huh. she sent me for an ultrasound and then a specialist and every single doctor that I saw in that initial period of going through all the tests and mm-hmm. stuff said, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Even my breast specialist said, I would tell you if I thought that it was cancer. Honestly, I don't think it is. Cause I didn't have a strong family history. Yeah. She said she didn't think it felt 
like cancer when okay. she felt it, when she did an exam. Um, but yeah, I had a heap of tests done and it, yeah, came back as cancer. So, um, it's funny how between finding out mm-hmm. and starting treatment is just the most hectic treatment is hard, Yeah. but that time period in between where everything's happening, you've got to get things organized Yeah. was so hectic and stressful. And we spent, my, my parents were great. They helped yeah. out, but we spent so much money on tests and yeah. all that yeah. sort of stuff. I can't imagine that. Like that'd just be so like, it'd be so consuming of everything too. Not just like time, your emotions would be going fucking yeah. crazy. Yeah. And then on top of that, you know, you've already had some other things mm. happening that had sort of set you back. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's mental. But there's so much that I had no idea would be involved with getting better. Right. Um, you know, one of the things that had never occurred to me because it had never applied to me, but fertility. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to go and see an IVF specialist and all this sort of stuff because most women who are diagnosed with breast cancer are a bit older. Sure. Um, <coughs> excuse me, but yeah, uh, chemotherapy can affect your fertility. Yeah, so sure. they sent me for tests and all that sort of stuff. And that was potentially going to delay me starting chemotherapy and all this sort of thing. And the cancer I had was really aggressive. So I had to make all those kinds of decisions and stuff as well. Yeah. So yeah, but I mean, I had great support. So yeah, you know, I was pretty lucky. Oh, that's awesome. So what, what was the, like, how long was your, um, you know, how long was the time where you were in treatment and recovery and stuff like that? Was that like, um, I started, I did 18, 19 months of chemotherapy. Uh-huh. Um, but it was only six months of the really hard stuff. So, sure. um, yeah, we started pretty much straight away on the chemo because, because of the type of cancer that I had, they wanted to do chemo and then surgery right? rather than the other way around in case it had spread. So when okay. I had a, was called a sentinel node biopsy where they check your lymph nodes because that's the first place it travels to. Okay. I had a couple of lymph nodes that tested positive. So they wanted to start chemo straight away in case it spread. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, yeah, so we started that and I did a treatment every third week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kept working and training, so that was good. But I would I was really sick for probably 10 days yeah, right. each time. Um, so I would have about a week and a half off and then I would go back to work for two weeks and training. Yeah. Um, and then have another week and a half off and yeah. kept doing that. Um, yeah. So that was six months worth. And then I started Herceptin, which is, um, for estrogen responsive cancer. So okay. that I had to do for 12 months and it started halfway through so I kept doing that for quite a while after I'd finished everything else yeah <coughs> um had I had a double mastectomy right after I finished chemo like once I had recovered a little bit yeah um yeah I had that done and then it was just all um they removed more lymph nodes as well when I had that done but they all came back clear so that was good yeah and then it was just all reconstruction mostly after yeah. that crazy so much stuff. <laughs> it was a lot. I worked out um, after I had this most recent knee surgery. Yeah. I worked out that I had 
all of the procedures, so not just major surgeries, but all the small procedures like going under the knife and stuff. Yeah. I had a dozen in 27 months. Fuck. Yeah. That's um, crazy. Yeah, so it's an interesting couple of years. Yeah, jeez. Mm. Um, so, uh, where is, you know, where are you at with everything now? Like what, what's Cancer's your... all good, all done. Um, I have a, a couple of, um, You obviously have lasting... to keep on top of this Yeah, forever, I have to go basically. for six monthly checkups yeah. and then it will go to yearly checkups. Sure. Um, pretty much for the rest of my life. But, yeah. um, I've got a couple of lasting issues that are so minor mm-hmm. in comparison. Um, but an effect of the radiation... Um, where I had lymph nodes, the side that I had lymph nodes taken out, um, you you were at risk of lymphedema. Okay. Which I've never had, touch wood, but I yeah. do have um, a symptom of it, which is called cording. Right. And it's like having this... Re- it's your lymphatic system. Yeah. And it's... Part of it goes really hard, and it's like having a cord. Mm. You know, for me, it runs from my pec, like right through the underneath my arm. So yeah. that shoulder, when I hit pads and things like that, that shoulder gets really tight and sore. But okay. So I have to see a specialist yeah. physio for that every now and then, but it's not too bad, really. So when when did you get back into, you know, fighting and stuff like that? Like, um, well, I never stopped training. Yeah. Uh, I was really lucky to have a lot of support from Ed and all of the guys. Um, sure. Ed was happy to hold pads for me anytime I wanted. Yeah. Um, I couldn't do any sparring or wrestling or jiu-jitsu because I had a portacath in my chest, okay. and it, um, which is where they administer I had my veins were no good right um so I think the first time I had chemo it took them about eight goes to find a vein yeah so um so I'm not a huge fan of needles anymore (laughs) (laughs) uh, yeah so they put a portacath into my chest where basically it sits just under your skin they put the needle into it and it's got a tube that goes straight to your heart okay but I couldn't get that knocked because it could, you know. Fuck things up real bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so no wrestling or anything like that um, yeah. until that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just only hitting pads. Um, but that was fine. And then when did I get... After I had my last reconstructive surgery, I had to wait, I think, 12 weeks or 16 weeks or something like that, um, which actually ticked over while I was in Canada. Uh-huh. So, um, while I was there, I, uh, just got straight in the gym yeah, well. when that came, came up. <laughs> um, but I was really lucky. I ended up going to one of the best MMA gyms in the world, awesome. um, called TriStar MMA in Montreal. I trained mm-hmm. there for a, a week and a half and met some really great people and some pretty high level fighters and stuff That's awesome. and trained in Boston. And then I came home the day after I got home from that trip. Coach sent me a text mm-hmm. saying, do you want to fight in six weeks? Yeah. I said, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we started a camp straight away. Yeah. And I was training like twice a day and got to the following Saturday. So like a week in, I rocked up. Saturday is our big sparring day. Sure. Um, so I rocked up to the gym and we had another gym visiting. So there were about 30 guys Crazy. and a couple of girls on the mat. Yeah. Um, I started sparring. I did two rounds in the second round. I didn't get kicked or anything. I just stepped back and my shin just floated out of place. And, um, I fell down and the guy that I was sparring was from this other gym that was visiting. Yeah. And he looked at me and goes, Oh my God, are you okay? I'm so sorry. And I just looked at him and I said, get Ed. 
Yeah. He goes, what, what? I said, just shut up and get Ed. Like, <laughs> yeah. there's something wrong here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was, that was actually really hard. That, yeah. that weekend, I really had to try and stay positive because yeah. I just, I was so angry yeah. and I had never in that whole time of doing my knee and then getting diagnosed with cancer, not once did I say, why the fuck is this happening to me? Yeah. Not a single time. I just went, okay, well, this is what's happening. This you is what I have it. to do about yeah. it. Whatever. I'll get it done. Yeah. And I was never angry about it. I was never scared. Um, yeah, and I never asked why or said it wasn't fair. But then when I did my knee again, right after all of that was finally done, yeah. I just went, what did I do? Like, yeah. was I Goebbels in my past <laughs> life? I, <laughs> what did I do? Yeah. Um, but, you know, and I was miserable for about three days and really angry and just not nice to be around. So I pretty much just locked myself in my room because I knew I was yeah. horrible. Sure. <laughs> um and well, then, it sounds like you had a little bit of right to be as well. Well, yeah, I mean, you, <laughs> you just, it a little everybody bit. <laughs> deals with things in yeah. different ways and you just got to, you know, pay attention to what you're feeling and, and yeah. go with it. But, um, you know, after a couple of days of being really angry and wondering where I had gotten all this bad karma from, sure. I, uh, I just stopped and I thought, okay, I've missed something. Yeah. Like there is a lesson that I'm supposed to have learned. Uh-huh that I've missed and that's why this is happening. So I need to pay more attention. And I did. And I thought, okay, I need to be more patient because I'm a really impatient person. Um, I'm very patient and tolerant of other people, but Mm -hmm. when it comes to doing things and my life, I'm impatient. I want to get things done. Okay. And I think that was what, so I've I've learned a lot about patience and people keep coming up to me saying, God, that must be so frustrating. It must be so frustrating. And I think, no, because if I get frustrated, what good is it going to do me? So yeah. I've learned a lot about being patient. Yeah. So, and I'm good now. Like, I mean, it means that I work really hard at my knee rehab. And yeah. Yeah. So I'm not, I mean, I'm excited about getting back to fighting yeah. and my future in that, that career, that yeah. part of my life. Um, but I'm not in a rush. Okay. I want to get things done properly. So how much longer do you have on your rehab then? Uh, let's see. About December I'll be done. Okay. So. And then will that, do you th- like, is that going to adversely then change the way you are going to fight from now on? Potentially. I would like yeah. to think that, um, you know, I like to stay positive and I kind of think that if I work really hard and I build up everything, make sure my leg is really strong and, yeah everything, excuse me, everything around my knees strong and supportive, mm-hmm. then I should be perfectly fine. Yeah, right. Um, but things like checking kicks, um, like blocking kicks, yeah, yeah. Um, is really important because when you take a kick to the thigh, you know, a hard one, if you if you have weight on that leg, mm-hmm. it kind of bends your knee right. in a direction it's not supposed yes. to go. So And that beats up your ligaments a little bit because right, they're right. not supposed to bend that way. Um you know, and I used to be pretty good at, at checking kicks and things like that. Yeah. But that first that first week back, uh-huh. um, where I did do a lot of hard training and a lot of sparring, I was just really slow. Yeah. And I wasn't checking kicks properly. And, like, my the outside of my leg was brown. Jesus. Because it, I had just 
worn so many kicks. And I mean, it's not painful, yeah. but my leg was bruised and um, the muscles were not functioning correctly yeah. because they were bruised. Um, and yeah, so when I stepped, you know, kind of funny in mm-hmm. sparring, the muscles just failed and didn't hold my leg the way they were supposed to. Yeah, right. So I've got to be really diligent, which yeah. I have been so far and which I will continue to do. So it should be fine. Cool. So the training that you do now, does is it just sort of like, are you just holding back a little bit? I'm holding back the, a lot. For the sake of your knee? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I got cleared by my surgeon to hip pads, just yeah. boxing. Yeah. Um, but even that, you know, when you do hooks and body rips and things like that you really drive through the ball of your foot and you pivot mm-hmm. a lot um which i'm not allowed to do i'm not allowed to pivot my foot for about another three or four months okay um because it puts pressure on the the new ligament while it's still healing yeah. um but yeah so i mean i'm trying not to look at it as being restricted i'm trying to look at it as Every few weeks, you know, every milestone, I get to add something. Sure. So, I mean, until three weeks ago, all I was doing was weights <laughs> and strengthening exercises and riding a bicycle, like a, a stationary bicycle. Yeah. Um, which I always used to hate <laughs> because it's so boring. But, yeah. um, you know, I don't mind it now because I'm used to it. But that was all I was doing for three months. Mm-hmm. And then I got cleared to hit some pads. So now... I'll go and do my rehab and then I go to our other gym and I hit pads with coach and yeah, we just, we're working on different things. So, um, I mean, I can punch pretty hard, but that's, we're taking that away to focus more on hitting targets really cleanly, um, and hand speed and that sort of stuff. So, So there's other things that you're working on at the time where you need to There's always something, there's always something you can work on. So that's what we're doing. That's awesome. Um, so like where to from December for you then? Like what's, what's your, what's your goals from there? <laughs> the grand plan mm-hmm. is to become the strawweight champion of the UFC. Fuck yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, it's going to be a lot of hard work and, and all that sort of stuff. Like sometimes I, um, I keep a very close eye on my weight division, mm-hmm. in ge- not just in the UFC in general. Yep. And, um, I don't know, I watch, and I mean, when I watch the UFC shows, um, because the strawweights are getting, as a division, getting a lot of momentum at the moment and a lot of attention. Sure. Uh, You know, I watch those fights and I just kind of sit there thinking, I know that I can beat these women. I know I can. Yeah. Um, You know, my skills right now, I have taken a big hit and I got a long way to go, but... um, yeah, I, I know that I can beat them, so I've just got to do what it takes to get there. Yeah, yeah. So, and then I figure once that's done, um, you know, hopefully that gives me some kind of platform to, I don't know, help people, help the world. Cool, yeah. In some way, so, yeah. That's a good goal. Yeah, but I've got to, i got to, you know, focus on what's in front of me right now. Yeah. Like, that's, that's always in the back of my mind. Sure. But, but I have to focus and take one step at a time, otherwise... I won't get there. too far ahead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, local shows and then go from there. Yeah, cool. So is that something that's like at this point now has built up quite a lot in Australia? Is like... Yeah, it's getting a lot bigger. Yeah. So when I first started MMA, I didn't know any women that did it. Mm-hmm. Not a single one. Yeah, right. um, 
And now we've got, um, although they don't do MMA, they just they do amateur kickboxing. But we've got a couple of girls that mm-hmm. are fighting as amateurs now in our gym, and um, yeah, it's gotten a lot bigger, especially for women yeah. in the last probably four years. Yeah, what would you yeah. say is the catalyst for that here? Do you think? Um, probably Ronda Rousey. Yeah. Which is probably, (laughs) yeah, it's probably an answer that, uh, has come up a lot, but, um, yeah, I think MMA itself started getting bigger. Australia's quite a bit behind most of the rest of the world in In, terms of that. Like, yeah, America, yeah, yeah, true. Um, yeah, so, I mean, as I said, I had the first women's MMA fight in two states, you know, and that's. It's crazy. Bizarre. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but since then, you know, there are there are promotions that do all-female cards sure. and things like that. And, I mean, there's um, Invicta FC, which is based in Kansas. I want to say Kansas. Um, yeah. In America is a women's league. Okay. And it's going great guns. Yeah, so, awesome. So that's pretty cool. But I think that... Um, Ronda Rousey made a lot of noise when she was in Strike Force. Yeah. Um, she's very charismatic. She was very confident. She yeah, made yeah. a heap of noise. And sure. then she came out and she backed that up. Yeah. Um, made a pretty big statement. And Dana White started paying attention. Like yeah. He, the president of the UFC. And he always said that he would never have women fighting in the UFC. Yeah. And then Ronda Rousey completely changed his mind. So. Sure. And I personally believe that the strawweight division is a lot more exciting than the bantamweight division. Okay. Um, I mean, they're both exciting in different ways. Yeah. But uh, I think that now having having the two divisions in the UFC, the two women's divisions, um, yep. will really get things going. And hopefully sure. in Australia, um, things will kind of become a little bit more accepted and... Mm-hmm. People will hopefully try to be a bit more open-minded and understand the sport more. Yeah, sure. Um, and I would like to be someone to facilitate that. Yeah. I think um, a lot of people are surprised to find out that I'm a fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, In yeah. what sense? Everyone just ends up really shocked. I don't go around really... I don't introduce myself to people and go, Oh, guess what? Yeah, hi, I'm Meg. I'm a professional fighter. Yeah. Um, but I have a lot of friends who kind of... I don't know. I guess they're proud or they think it's cool or something i don't know but yeah. um i have a lot of friends that kind of go, oh this is my friend meg yeah she does mma right. and um i mean it makes me feel pretty bashful but then people start asking questions and they're always really shocked and okay. i think it's because people have a perception of what a fighter is like acts like looks like what have you okay. um and i don't think i fit that mold i'm no, just... very polite i'm well, tiny I, I, I would say <laughs> i would say from what i understand the public perception to be you definitely do not fit yeah. into that <laughs> so you know i would like to hopefully use that for good yeah and uh yeah spread spread a good message and yeah yeah that's cool well like i mean it's it's good to see like i mean i i'm not someone who pays attention to it heaps obviously just see what the general public sees mm. however I mean, uh, Josh, who plays guitar and I exist, is like enormously into MMA. Yeah. Like crazy about it. <laughs> and so we hear all the updates on anything that's like revelatory through him. Um, however, like, you know, when, as far as I've seen since 
you know, when I met him, he was the only person I knew that really loved that sort of stuff. Yeah. And now I know so many people. Yeah. That, you know, I met you and then I know, like, lots of my other friends have gotten into it as well. Yeah. And, I mean, a lot of people I know have gotten into it who I wouldn't think would like that sort of stuff mm. too. So I would say that it's definitely growing a little bit here. Oh, yeah, definitely. In that sense as well. Yeah. Um, is Do you think Australia's in a position that's somewhat difficult because of the distance from where it's all happening as well? I don't or? think so. I don't think, um, I mean, as, as we were saying before, I think Australia's pretty behind yeah. for a lot of things, but, um, you know, I mean, with the internet and TV and all that, yeah. I mean, we get to see it all anyway. We still have exposure to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that as, as it grows and becomes a lot more, um, I guess visible. Sure. Um, you know, I think things will start to change then. Okay. And maybe there's a lot of just uh, perception problem at the moment. Yeah. I don't, I don't think MMA in Australia has a face. Okay. Um, you know, Canada's got GSP who Mm -hmm. is a king over there. Mm -hmm. Um, in America you've got, you know, John Jones, Ronda Rousey. Yeah. You know, Brazil has Anderson Silva. Like (coughs) there are just heaps of, there are quite a few stars. Sure. Around, um, but Australia doesn't have that that person that when people think of MMA, they associate you know, it with them. Yeah. Okay. So um, I think that that having a face to put with it. Yeah. I mean, there are a few Australian fighters in the UFC who mm-hmm. are just incredible athletes, and they're doing great things. Um, but I don't think that the mainstream public really is aware. Yeah, yeah. they don't know who they are and how great they are. So, yeah, I think that that will definitely help that. Yeah, cool. All right, well, I think that's pretty good. Do you have anything you would like to talk about? You would like to let the public know about? Uh, I don't know. MMA is not full of brutes. (laughs) We're intelligent people (laughs) trying to just work hard and make a living. I don't know. DIY rules. Support your local everything. Sick. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming, dude. (laughs) Brutal.